teaching on this morning is Acts chapter 5. Has anyone heard the Ananias and Sapphira story? Everyone loves to talk about the good Ananias story, Acts chapter 9, where he's obedient to God and he leads Saul, then Paul, to Damascus. I'm like, oh my God, he was obedient, right? That's the, that's the story that most people talk about, not Acts chapter 5. We just skim over that. Okay, but if you just read Acts chapter 5 without context, okay, and I like to do a little uh, English, Espanol, like kind of like con. What is con in Spanish? Anyone know? What's the word mean? With. There's a greater story with the text that I want to leave us with today. If we just look at Acts chapter 5, we're going to be confused. We're going to have a lot of questions. Why did they lie? Why did they die? Did God strike them down? Did Peter strike them down? Did the wife know, like, where was she at when she was gone for three hours? Like, was she at the store? Like, the community is small. All sorts of questions that you're going to have. But I want to tie it to this larger thread that God has been saying throughout the Bible. I want us to be aware of some questions that God has been asking since the opening scene of the Bible, which is, where is your heart? Where's your heart? Why have you drifted? Will you not trust that my plan is better than yours? Okay, so we're going to go back, okay? And for those of you who know me, right, two things are going to happen to your thumbs today, depending on what kind of word you're reading. You're going to get arthritis from how much you're going to be scrolling and flipping through this book. Or if you've got a physical Bible, you're going to have some paper cuts. So get your Band-Aids ready or get your physical therapy ready, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this family that you brought us all into. This family that we have here at Soma Downtown Church, a family of many different backgrounds and races and religions and stories that you're folding into this grand narrative that you're telling from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation. God, we're so grateful that we get to be a part of the Capital C Church in a local C Church context, Lord. I pray that through this word today that you would reveal the things that we need to learn about ourselves, how we casually take the Holy Spirit as this theoretical thing that is not to be feared, Lord. I pray that we would have appropriate fear of the Lord when we hear these words, just as Luke mentions in this book. I pray that we would be in reverence and in awe of your majesty while we also pursue relationship with you to see your work done here on the near east side as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that these words would be sowed into our hearts, that they would reap good fruit, and that we would see those in our lifetime and have joy from that to spread your message even further. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, so let's go back to the beginning. We're going to go back to the beginning of the book. Let's go back to the Old Testament. We're not going to Acts 5 yet. All the way back, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put them in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? But the serpent said to the woman, for you will not surely die. Genesis 3, chapter 9, or verse 9. 
But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? They had eaten this fruit. And this is one of the most perplexing questions in all of the Bible. God clearly knows where they are. When he asks this question, where are you? He's getting at, where is your heart? Why have you drifted from me? Where are you? How did this happen? Where are you? Joshua, let's go to Joshua. You want to flip him? You want to flip with me? I'll give you guys some time to get there. Go to another story in the Bible. So what's happening in this scene, Moses and the Israelites had just been delivered from the hands of Pharaoh in 400 years of slavery. And Moses is coming to the end of his life, and he's dying, and they're appointing a new young buck, a new leader, a.k.a. sort of like Peter in the chapter of Acts, right? Jesus had just died. They're appointing a new person upon which I will build my church, Joshua. Okay, Joshua 4. Just to give you that context, 414, on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, a.k.a. Sermon of the Pentecost, the first sermon that comes out. And they stood on him just as they stood in awe of Moses, just like Jesus, all the days of his life. Verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. I will deliver the Holy Spirit to you all, and greater works than these will you do so that my message may spread through Jerusalem, through Judea, and through all of the ends of the earth. Similar backdrop. Chapter 6. Now they get to the wall of Jericho. There's an external opposition to them receiving the lands that God is delivering them to, which is the wall. We get to this point on the seventh day. Chapter 6, verses 15. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It's only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it devoted, devoted, keep that word in your mind, devoted, to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are, who are with her in her house shall live, because she had hid the messengers whom we sent. But you... Keep yourselves from the things, what's that word, devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it, upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel and bronze of iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Now, what do we think happens? Just, what do we think happens? Do we know what happens? I'm, just, I'm really calling out. What do we think happens next? They conquer, and what did they do? Hmm? They take some of it. They kept for themselves the devoted things instead of putting all things into the treasury of the Lord. Okay? Verse 10, chapter 7, The Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the, what's that word? Devoted things. They have stolen and lied about them and put them among their own belongings. This person, Achan, the word kept back, the word lie and steal, is only used a few times throughout the Bible when we go to Acts chapter 5, when we get to the same part. These same words are only used a very few parts. So when Luke is talking about these words, 
people would have immediately remembered that he's talking about this story. Okay? So when Ananias dies, think about Achan in Joshua 7. And then this is a bad ending, okay? You got to take the Old Testament with the New Testament. All right, I'm going to be real with y'all, right? Those, we're not going to read half this book. We're going to get the whole Bible. Okay, Joshua 7, 25. And Joshua said to Achan, why did you bring trouble upon us? Right? This whole section, he's questioning Achan just like Peter questions Ananias and questions Sapphira. It's literally the same pattern, the same thread, the same things happening in that story as it happens in this story. We need to see the tapestry and the threads and the same stories and patterns that God is trying to present to us throughout the scriptures, right? That's the context. Let's not just read Acts chapter 5 and get lost in this story. See the bigger story in the narrative that God's trying to paint for us here. Okay. And all Israel stoned him with stones. Good Lord. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. That's a big pile of rocks. That's a pretty harsh ending. That's a pretty harsh ending. Last story before we get out of the Old Testament. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Let's go to Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament right before the New Testament. So what happens in this story? The people of Israel have been exiled. They have no location. The word is not being preached. They have no temple. So a couple of things have happened. Zerubbabel, a few chapters back, or a few books back, rebuilds the temple. Ezra restores the preaching of the word to this people of Israel. And then Nehemiah rebuilt the city walls of Jerusalem so that the God of people can become the God of people again. What do we think happens, right? They start to drift away. They start to drift away. And I want us to be, look at this same language that's here, that's used in Acts, okay? Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, not consumed. From the days of your father you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yes, you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a window, uh, pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Same language, this word rob, the same pattern of people keeping back. The same pattern of people holding back these things that should be belonging to God for the spread of the mission. God's question in all of these situations is, where is your heart? Why have you withheld from me? Do you not trust that my plan is greater than yours? All right, a couple more scriptures, and then we're going to get into the story. Just for you all, 
to know, just really quick, just about, again, my preaching style, and this probably will come get better over time. Do you know the kinds of restaurants, like, uh, they have, like, a six-course meal where, like, everything is paired together, like the bread, like the charcuterie, like the, the grape and the caramelized onion goes with a special type of cheese with the right type of bread, with the right type of meat, and then it's paired with the wine the right way. Like, that's the, like, one point, one, two, three point sermon, right? I'm like a La Parada guy. I'm going to give you a lot. I'm going to be down to earth with it, right? Probably going to break a couple rules. They didn't close down during the pandemic, by the way. No one really going to put that out. Thank goodness, right? And I'm going to give you a lot for you to consume and to deal with. Probably going to have to take some home with you. Take some notes. You, you guys are just like, where is this thing going? I'm trying to weave together a larger story. That's probably not going to be your a la carte. Vita-type meal. You feel me? La Parada, not Vita. What's he doing, Dante? Hopefully it's going to stay. It'll make sense eventually. A couple more verses. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. This is the Sermon of the Mount. This is Jesus speaking. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Who are we talking about right here? Anybody who knows the story of Acts 5, who are we talking about? Ananias. Who's in the back? Who said that? Amen. Thank you. Who are we talking about? What, are they, what does he want? Right? Let's not get, let's see this whole story flowing through. Okay. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Stay in Matthew 6, 24. Dang, he bouncing around. That's right. Get that thumb ready. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he, for he will be, what's that word? Devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Central theme throughout the book of Acts. As we go through and we read all these stories, one of the things I want you to know about this story about Ananias and Sapphira, it's really about Barnabas. It's setting him up as a protagonist for the rest of the book. Because Barnabas ends up being in control of a lot of the money that is carried throughout all of the lands with Paul to do missions as his word spreads. So it wants to show you Barnabas' character. It's not focused on Ananias and Sapphira. Again, we've got to see the whole story, the context. What's the story with the text? He's speaking, he's mixing English and Spanish right now. I'm really confused. Last verse. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Will you not trust me? Will you not believe that my plan is greater than your plan? Okay. Now with that being said, let's flip into the book of Acts. Goodness, Dante, we had to do all that just to get in the book of Acts. Yes, we did. Because I'm telling you, just reading this verse on its own, reading these passages on its own, will bring about more questions and more confusion than they will helpfulness. Okay? We have to read the word in the full context and what's happening. So amazing work 
have been happening in Acts. And there's a central character in here that, again, I know we like to talk about, we like to use verses about Peter in this as though he did not have special power and a special ability to do, do these things. But in Matthew 16, 7, 17, Jesus said, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, I know we like to talk about our ability, and I believe that we should have the faith that we should walk by a lame person and say, get up. Silver and gold I do not have, but get up and walk. We need to have that boldness. We need to believe that the Spirit is living and breathing and moving and active, and we have that same power. But I want you to know that Peter got something a little bit different. Okay? Jesus says it himself. Can we agree on that? He is the rock upon which he will build his church, and he does have an ability. The things that he binds up in heaven will be loose on earth and vice versa. Peter does have special ability. He's a special character. Man. Acts chapter 4, 25 through 32. Now we get to this part in the book of Acts where the early church is coming. It says in one verse, now there were about 3,000 that were added to the number of believers that day. In another verse it said, and now the number of believers who heard, this is after they went to the council in front of the Sadducees. If you've all been following along, if you haven't, go back and read. But it said the number who believed were about 5,000. 5,000 plus 3,000, about 8,000, right? They went from, a mega from nothing to a megachurch overnight with no coordination, no collaboration, no slack, no, no communication. They have slack channels. This was a powerful moving and work of God. Amazing things are happening in this community. And this is their heart. This is their heart. First, this is their prayer. Because after they get out of this council, I want you to know that the heart of this church and what's behind this church. Matthew 4, or Acts 4, 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers who were gathered together against the Lord and against the, his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered, there were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus when they had prayed. This wasn't just Peter's prayer or one person's prayer. It said in verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, this is the collective heart of the church. This is everyone's heartbeat. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God in boldness. Verse 32 through 37. 
Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were given, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, dude got a new name. That's crazy. Like, I want to exude such a, I, I don't want my nickname to be like the giver of long sermons. But I do, <laughs> I do want to live in such a way that like I got a name and like, but everyone calls me by a different name because like I love people, encourage people so well. His name was Joseph. His name wasn't Barnabas. That's the, that's the nickname the apostles gave him. Man, that's so good. Whew. Thus, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement or son of comfort, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here we go. We're getting into the verse because it's about to get weird and interesting and there's going to be a lot of head scratching. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? There's that Satan guy again. Everyone wants to make about Ananias. I'm the Satan guy, the Satan Bel Belichick guy. Satan's here, okay? Let's not be confused about what evil is in this world. There is a manifest spirit behind it, which is embodied in Satan. Neither here nor there. And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived deceit in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his life. He did. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, where was his wife at this time? I'm asking all kinds of questions. Was she at Aldi? Was there traffic? I don't know. She didn't know about it. His wife came in, and not knowing what had happened, she didn't know. That's crazy. This is a tense moment in the church, because she's walking up to the front of the church, and Peter's about to talk to her. Let's just assume that her back is facing you all today, and I'm asking her these questions. And y'all in the back like... Y'all just saw what happened. Y'all like, please do the right thing. This is a tense moment. <sighs> and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard. So I know a lot of people like to take this passage a lot of different ways. A lot of people make assumptions about this text that the text actually doesn't bring into it. First one, that I want to bring to all of us is 
Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? One of the things that we actually take fear as like a Western society is that like if you lie, God will strike you down. And I want to get to the next part in this of we do need to consider the seriousness of sin. We need to consider the seriousness of sin and be in fear and awe of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit represents. That's true. But in this passage, it didn't just say that they lied. It said that their heart was what? Filled. It said that their heart was filled to lie. This wasn't just a single thing that happened. An outward symptom of a lie or something that we see on the surface is usually a result and a manifestation of something that's happening deeper at a heart level. That's not just a one-time slip-up. It didn't say that Satan caused them to lie one time. It said that their heart was filled to lie. Their heart was filled to lie. Oftentimes we believe that about sin. To the contrary, we have a wrong view of that if we lie, that God's going to strike us down and they're going to carry us out. They're going, to, they're going to wrap us up and carry us out. Burrito, Chipotle. All right. Anyone else look at the wrists of people when they're doing the scoops? It's like, you better do a full wrist turnover, right? They give you that quarter wrist turn, wrap you up and take you out, okay? But we also have the small insidious belief in our, in our minds that one lie that we tell ourselves one time won't lead our heart to be filled. It's just this one time. You're going to see it. We know that sin compounds. It starts in the heart, but it manifests itself in an outward expression eventually. And as we read in Genesis chapter 2, the result of sin is death. You will surely die. It was accelerated for them. There was an acceleration to their death. But let's not make any mistakes about it. The result of sin is death. It says Jesus took on our sins, right? Jesus died. Jesus died for those sins. Not even Jesus was spared the consequences of sin. He had to take on the full brunt. That is the penalty that we all deserve. So that's one thing that most people mistake about this text. Second thing that I want to point out, and I want to make a, a comment to all of us in this room, but women specifically, husbands and wives, but I want to talk to women specifically. Women, when she's coming in, and he asked her the question, Peter asked her the question, how much did you sell this land for? I know we're supposed to be submissive and subservient to each other's needs as husband and wife. But just like in Genesis, and just like in this story, you do not have to follow your spouse into sin. You may have made a mistake. You may have made a poor decision. Something may have been done. 
But women specifically, I want to tell you all and call, because I felt it on my heart, you do not have to follow your spouse into sin. That is not what God has called us to. That is not what God has called us to. So if you feel like you're in that situation or you're trapped and you have to follow, you have to serve, God is not calling us to follow our husbands or our wives into sin. Also, sin is not singular. It does not only affect you. Sin never stops at one person. Sin didn't just stop with Adam and Eve and they died. Sin continues. Sin is not singular. The Lord's Prayer that we say together says, what does it say? My Father, my Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive me, my trespasses, or what? Us, our trespasses. Sin happens on a singular level, but it spreads. But it spreads. Sin is not singular. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says that if the eye causes the body to sin, pluck it out, lest the whole body be thrown into hell. The beginning of this church is happening. And Peter has the declaration of the charge on you, you are my rock upon which I will build this church. There was an element of needing to root out sin or plucking out the eye before it spread to the rest of this community. I'll leave that there. So a couple questions. Why did they die? The result of sin is death. Sin is serious. Now, did Peter strike them down? That is not what this says. Did God strike them down? That is not what this says. Don't read into the text and make up your own stories about what happened. That's not what it says. Okay? One of the reasons that John Piper, when he talks about this verse, that he talks, that, talks about it should be a wake-up call for us, is he says, how do we hoard dishonor on the Holy Spirit? He said three ways that we do this, and he believes that Ananias and Sapphira hoarded dishonor upon the Holy Spirit in this passage when he was talking about it. He said, number one, we don't acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Mistake number one. This demonstration would have struck people as incredibly odd at the time because they have just been filled with the Holy Spirit. They truly, at this point in the church, don't have a great grasp and a great concept of what the Holy Spirit is. There's not a lot of longevity in teaching and understanding and discernment about what the Holy Spirit is. And in this verse, he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself? This would have been an incredibly foreign thing to them, that they're not just lying to each other. They're lying to a Holy Spirit. Luke is trying to tell us something, that we need to acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit. Second thing John Piper says, 
about how do we hoard dishonor on the Spirit. We believe that the Spirit is a theoretical presence that does not individually deal with us and our sin, that the Spirit of God is not God with us. In their mind, they're looking for a physical Messiah. Physical Messiah that will bring them to a physical kingdom. We need to rebuild the walls. We need to tear down the walls of Jericho. We need to build a new Jerusalem. We need a physical person to do that. Anyone watching this new like Captain America series on Netflix? Right? It says that the suit needs a person to embody this belief of Captain America. Right? That's what they believe. It's not just a symbol. The symbol needs a suit and it needs a person that embodies that spirit. But what they don't understand is that in the Old Testament, it was God who created us and God for us. If God is with us, who can be against us? When Jesus came, he was Emmanuel, God with us. When the Holy Spirit came, he became the helper, which transitioned to another faith. <coughs> Excuse me. Good Lord. <coughs> which is God in us. God for us. God with us, God in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 6, 19 through 20. Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit? Your physical body is a temple. The Holy Spirit is not a theoretical thing, a manifestation of God, a wind that goes about carrying out God's plans across the earth. The Holy Spirit, Spirit is a manifestation of God with us, and we should treat it as such. God within us, and we should treat it as such. Third thing, we believe that the Spirit is so permissive that it doesn't matter how we live. Grace will cover us. Hebrews 10, 28 says that if we live in such a way that's so casual that we don't acknowledge the Holy Spirit, that we don't acknowledge the death of Christ, that we will outrage the Spirit of grace. That's the phrase. That we would outrage the Spirit of grace. Hebrews 10, 28. Look up the phrase. God is angry when we take his grace for weakness. When we mistake grace for kindness. When we mistake grace for what it truly is. Why did they die? I can't tell you how they died. I can't tell you who did it. But we can flip to Ephesians 5, chapter 27. Got some notes in here. I'll start back a couple verses before. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. God cares about his bride. God cares about his church. God wants a church and a church to reflect the love of Christ that we could be presented to him 
without spot or blemish, without wrinkle. Revelations 19. Verses 6. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. God cares about the purity of his church. God cares about the purity of his church. Letting these things rest and letting these things, these things sit. Because I want us to sit in the gravity and the weight of them. Matthew 18, 7. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom temptation comes. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Isaiah 53. Verse 1. Who has believed that what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was not despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I want us to, under, us to understand the weight of sin and the purity by which God wants to reveal his church to himself. I'll close out because I'm getting a couple finger points. I could go on all day. So I'm going to go back to the text one last time and really talk about what's happening. Give me a five-minute warning. Peter asked them, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Okay, as part of this community, we just saw a member step up and accept member vows. 
We are signing ourselves up. We are aiming to be all in. We are committing ourselves to a body and to a community, to a family that's serving a greater purpose of God in our community. That's what this church did. They said they were of one heart and of one soul. Okay? No one told Ananias and Sapphira that they had to enter into this community. That was their choice. And as part of being in this community, it says, as any had land or houses, they sold these things so that there was not a needy person among them. That was the context of this community. Those were the commitments that all of the people in the community were making. They didn't have to be a part of this community, number one. Two, God gave them this property and this land. They did not have to sell the land. And even when they sold it, they could have given even a part of it. The sin was the lie. The sin was the lie that they told about what they had given. Because they were seeking the approval of man in complete disregard for the Spirit and not trusting God. Do you not believe that my plan is greater than yours? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Give me this plot of land, and I will give these things back to you. Do we not trust him? Where is our heart? Do we not believe that he is God? Why have we drifted away? That is the sin. That is the thing that we need to take from this verse. They didn't fear the Lord. God has called us into a personal relationship with him, but we don't take that lightly. Jesus is my homeboy. No. Jesus is a God, God and the creator of the universe, coming back on a horse with a sword and blood on his robe. Sin is serious. God is the creator. He cares about his church. And it says, fear fell upon all those that heard it. Fear that is talked about in this church is not fear in terms of or and tremble. Fear like when you're watching a scary movie and you think something's under your bed. Fear that he's talking about is the words that's used of the fear of the Lord. The best definition I could talk about that is fear of the Lord is the balance of awe and intimacy. It's a reverence for God that leads to repentance from our sin and a recognition of the penalty of our sin which leads to relationship. It's a balance between awe and intimacy. So what do we do with this? What do we do? You know what I wish could be a great dovetail to this sermon? Was anyone here last year, or two, this might have been two years ago, for Tayshon's By His Stripes We Were Healed sermon? One of the most powerful sermons that I think I've ever heard. And I think for what struck me about that sermon, if you were here, when the lights were out, and the candles were lit, was the penalty and the punishment that was taken on my behalf. Let's be sober about the penalty of sin and the price that was paid by Jesus Christ as a result of that. We're coming up on Easter. And we always celebrate the good food, the wacky suits that you get to see if you grew up in a black church, you get to see the, some, some, some different colored suits on Easter, right? The pastel three-quarter length suits. 
We don't have much of that here, but I mean, in the black churches, man, you're like, wow, where did you get that suit? That's a lot of fabric of that color. Where did you source that? That's incredible. But what we need to understand is the price that was paid on our behalf. I'll finish with this. Hebrews 12.2. I'm right here on my phone. It'll be easier. Hebrews 12.2. Or 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What do we do? Verse 2, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We have an appreciation for what he did for us. And as a virtue of that, how can we not go all in? How can we not give up everything for the sake of what he's doing in this world? How can we hold back a piece of our property? How can we hold back a piece of ourselves which we don't own in light of the price and the penalty that was paid on our behalf? Let's pray. Jesus, as we enter upon the week that we celebrate your crucifixion, your death, and ultimately your resurrection, which will serve as the justification of our sin, that hopefully will lead us to repentance and a sober mind and a sober heart of you and your spirit, which will lead to our sanctification that we may be presented to you blameless and holy without spot or without wrinkle on the day that you call us to live in eternity with you. We thank you, Jesus, for the penalty and the price that you paid. We pray that our hearts may not be filled to lie against your Holy Spirit. We pray that in service of the mission that you've called us to, that your word will be spread to the ends of Jerusalem and to Judea and the ends of the earth, that we would give all, we would go all in on that mission and not serve money over that mission. Holy Spirit, convict us. Holy Spirit, cleanse us. Holy Spirit, plead on our behalf. Spare us from your wrath for our sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.